Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, New Springs, it is a joy to be back again. Thank you, Pastor Mark. I'm glad your plane made it last night, and I just want to inform you he got here just in time to buy my dinner, and so I'm grateful <laughs> to God for it. Hey, if you want to follow along, I'm just going to sort of tell the story out of Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. Got a text just a few minutes ago, and it fit just perfect with a message. Lady texted me from Woodstock and said, you know the relationship I've in. Here's what he did. Should I leave him? People are always asking questions. How can we know? Do we have an advantage in our life? And I thought my favorite book in the Bible is the book of James. So I just text her real quick and I said, you ought to read James chapter 1 and verse 5. So listen to this promise, the half-brother of Jesus. And just for the record's sake, James was raised in the home with the Lord Jesus Christ, his half-brother. But the Bible teaches he did not become a believer until after the resurrection. How would you like to be the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ? Could you imagine Mary coming home and saying, You know, James, I wish you were more like your brother. (laughs) Pressure. Uh, Tradition has it that when he died, he had been nicknamed Camel Knees. And I thought about that. He didn't know who his brother was until after he died, was buried, and rose again. But when he found out who he was, he spent a lot of time talking to him on his knees. But he said this in James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally without reproach. It means he doesn't scald you for asking and it will be given to you. How many of you deep in your heart believe that God still speaks to us? That when we, we need a word that God really desires to give. Isaiah said this. He needed a word. And he said he heard a voice behind him saying, walk in this way. God really gave him clarity. In the text today, there's a sovereign command. If we'll listen, when you get up in the morning, I'm not sure what your quiet time looks like or Bible reading, but... If you get up and spend a few moments in prayer, it's a time of dialogue. If you will read the scripture and then just sit before me and say, God, I so desire to obey you. Please show me your way and then stay there. I'm reading a little book now devotionally, just simply entitled by Andrew Murray, Waiting on God. And God really wants to direct us. I've made so many decisions that God had nothing to do with because I tried to run ahead of him. But in this story in Acts chapter 8 and verse 26, there's a 
a, a leader from the church by the name of Philip. He's not a pastor. He's recognized as a, a deacon. He's in a major meeting in the city of Samaria. The Bible says in Acts chapter eight and verse eight, there's great joy in the entire city. So he's certainly not looking to leave. I mean, he is in, look at me. He's in a good place. But yet, right in the midst of that good place, God speaks to him. And in verse 26, he says this, Philip, arise and go toward the south to Gaza, which is desert. Sovereign command. Would, would God ever call us? Uh, in the ministry I lead, a book is being written now by two of my dear friends entitled Calling Out the Called. Uh, couldn't it be in this room this morning that God is calling someone out? Certainly the greatest call here ever give you is to call you to himself. And by the way, that, that will serve as the single greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. But then he may call you to do something that he designed and even defines for you to do. I love the next verse. Verse 27 simply says this. And Philip arose and went. Simple compliance to a sovereign command. That's how we get there in life, to think this is what God wants out of my life. In my travels over the years, I do a lot of mission conferences. And sometimes I'll just pose this question at the end of the conference. I'll say, is there anyone in the room, maybe you never really connected the dots, but there were times in your life you sensed God had a particular call in your life. There was something you were supposed to do. Maybe when you were a child, when you were a teenager, when you were in college, maybe right after you got married. And, and you never really followed through to really let God connect the dots. And there's this longing in your mind thinking, did God call me to do something? And it would have been the defining moment, the red letter day of my life, and I never listened. And by the way, does it make sense that God would call a single man to leave a great meeting in a major city to go to the desert. Oh, and by the way, let me tell you why most people don't surrender to God's call. Because he hasn't shown them A to Z. Adrian Rogers used to say that if, you, this is good, if you will obey the light that God has given you, God will increase the light. There's only one decision that I need to make when God really gives a sovereign call. Yes or no? Will I obey or not? The truth is, Philip did obey. And by the way, God did not even tell him why he was going to the desert. But when he got there in verse 27 and following, it says this, and the Lord showed him an Ethiopian eunuch that would be equivalent today to the Secretary Treasurer of the United States of America. He would have been on the cabinet at the White House, but he was from Ethiopia, same office, very intelligent, undoubtedly a very wealthy man. I'll tell you why I make that statement in a moment. 
And the Spirit of God again says to Philip, join thyself to his chariot. And he goes over and when he gets close, the eunuch is reading a copy of Isaiah 53, the very fact that he would have a manuscript. And he's reading that passage that really talks about, listen to this, the prophecy, like your pastor's gonna preach next week and who is better to preach it? He was wounded for our transgressions. He was, he was bruised for, for my iniquity. The, the chastisement for our peace was upon him. And it's telling about one who died. So he's sitting there reading it and listen to this question. Boy, this is a question for the 21st century. Hey, excuse me, <laughs> Do you understand what you're reading? And then listen to this extremely intelligent man's honest answer. How can I accept someone help me? I have neighbors, they may read their Bible, but if they're anything like me, and I didn't own a Bible until I became a believer, they need somebody to help them. People we work with, it just hit the other day. I, uh, I, I preach things just every now and then. I, I may get it right. I, I preached for years and years and years. And here's what I said. Our friends are more desirous to hear the gospel than we are to tell them. And it just came out in research the other day. Listen to what it said. It said the average American that is not a Christ follower or believer, here's what they said. I know some people in my life that are. And I'm hoping one day they'll talk to me about it. They, they wanna, wanna know. And he hadn't told them, so he tells him. And so the Bible says, this is neat, it says, and he began at the same scripture and he preached unto him. There's only one to preach. The Lord Jesus Christ. The reason he preached Jesus, Jesus is not a good way to heaven. He, he's, he's not even the best way to heaven. He's the only way to heaven. So he preached unto him Jesus. And after he explained the gospel to him, listen to this. The eunuch said, see here is water. And it ought to get your attention. It got my attention to say, I need to study that a little further. I've been to Gaza before. I've been to the desert. There is no water down there. Where did the water come from? It rains in Jerusalem. And when it rains in Jerusalem, it makes its way down through the ravines. And here's what you have to be careful of. There are times if you're touring in the southern part of Israel, anywhere near the desert, they'll say to you, we have to be careful today. There's flash floods. They've been known to push buses off the road. So the word that is used there is the word wadi, W-A-D-I. It's a mud puddle. Here's a brilliant man, works for the president of his country, and he says, see, here is water. What does hinder me to be baptized? And he responded and said, oh, this is good. I love my Bible. I like what Mark said. We've got a script. And I don't have to speculate how do I get there? Who is it that I need? Who can fill this void in my heart? I have a script, an eternal script, a proven script. 
millions, millions have found a way reading this script. What does hinder me to be baptized? Nothing if you believe with all your heart. Listen to this confession. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They're on a chariot. Whoa, horse. And they go down and he baptizes them. And by the way, let me just camp out here for a moment. Boy, I just run to people all the time and say, hey, I'm a, I'm a believer in Jesus, but uh, I've never been baptized. Hey, you know, you, know you, don't, you don't have to be baptized to be saved. No, but you have to be baptized to be obedient. And by the way, how's this working for you if you're following Jesus but not obeying Jesus? Someone said, well, you know, the main thing is I got saved. Baptism isn't that important. Hold on just a moment. I've got a script again. What does baptism do? First of all, I got converted on a Sunday night. My wife came. She was the second one down the aisle. And she had become a believer as a teenage girl but hadn't been baptized. So they told us that we needed to be baptized. And I was a new believer and never owned a Bible. So I just thought they're leading me right. And so um, the next Sunday night, we showed up to be baptized. I'll never forget it as long as I live. The pastor said to me, Johnny, tonight you're going to preach your first sermon. I thought, oh, my God, I'm, I'm very shy. And I'm thinking, he said, oh, no, you won't ever open your mouth. When you stand in the pool tonight, everybody out there that sees you is going to hear you say, I'm here to identify with Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And in just a moment, they're going to put me under the water. And that is a picture that I have died with Christ that I have been buried with Christ. And then in a moment, and thank God it was just a moment, he took me out from under the water. And when he did, it was a picture that I had been risen with Christ, that I had identified, look at me, I'd identified with Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and his resurrection. How under heaven would I want to claim him as my Lord and Savior and then not want to identify with him in the very thing that changed my life, the death, burial, and resurrection? I would encourage anyone in this room that professes to be a a faith follower, Christ follower, that's not been baptized, to be baptized an act of obedience to Jesus Christ. It is the right thing to do. He got baptized. When I was seven years old, my dad checked out. He left my mother in Wilmington, North Carolina with six children. I'm next to the youngest, four boys, two girls. We ended up moving into a government subsidized apartment. This is kind of cool. I was living in a government um, project. Nedsbit Courts. They went to tear them down just a few years ago. An engineer went in and said, these are some of the most solid buildings in this community. So they said, instead of tearing them down, we're going to build them and make them into condominiums. And so they did. And so now it's a gated community where I was raised. So I've changed my life story. I was raised in a gated community in Wilmington, North Carolina. (laughs) 
My mother went to work in the factory called Century Mill. She'd come home. She was a fabulous cook. I bet a lot of you have the same story of your mom. She would fix a dinner for us six kids, and then she would head down Front Street and walk about a mile and a half to White Front Grill. I love to tell people that I tip good. I really do. I am a good tipper. If you're a waiter or a waitress, and we have a waiter with us that waited on us last night, and then as we just begin to tell him what we do and the difference Christ makes, he's here as our guest. I'm, I'm honored, Ethan, that you're here, deeply honored that you're here. Welcome, Ethan, to the very first time here in our service. But see, see, when someone's waiting on me and I'm not getting good service, I, I'd look at it differently. I don't think, do they not know my coffee's cold? Do they not know they've not filled my wife's Coke Zero? <laughs> now, here's the way I process it. It takes me back to Miss Bessie, my mama. I wonder if mama missed it a few times because her mind was not on filling the coffee. It was being concerned about our six kids. And so I tip not predicated on the service rendered, but on salvation received. I'm a new creation in Jesus Christ. If anybody ought to be an encouragement to somebody in the service industry, it's somebody that Jesus lives inside of. And so it just, um, so I, I tip good. Matter of fact, normally when I'm, um, especially when I'm by myself or with my wife, and we've ordered a meal, and when the meal comes, it's just a normal thing for me to say, hey, ma'am, I'm, I'm getting ready to pray with my wife, to thank God for the food. Is there anything I can pray for you about? And we've had some interesting conversations. But just recently, I did that at Papa Do's. And my wife doesn't like Papa Do's. And I do, but she had, we have a date night, so she had surrendered and, so uh, we were going to enjoy this meal. She said, I'll find something on the menu. So I asked the lady, I said, ma'am, I'm getting ready to pray with my wife. Anything we can pray for you about? And she ran from the table crying. My wife looked across the table. You can't make this up. And she said, how's that working for you? <laughs> In a few minutes, that lady came back to the table and she said, um, sir, I want to apologize. I said, man, you have, you have no reason, no need to apologize to me, no, no problem. She said, no, no, I want, I want you to understand what just happened. She said, today is a very special day in my life, and nobody knows. See, it was one year ago today that I lost the best friend I've ever had in life. My daddy died a year ago today. And uh, by you asking, could you pray for me? I felt that was God's way of saying, I know your pain. I know where you are. I just felt like it was a sign. So remember, my wife is with me. So she says, so sir, I've only got one question and I need you to be honest. Are you an angel? And before I could say a word, my wife said, absolutely not. He's not even close. I'm telling you, and she.
will speak to us. He'll lead us. When I was 16, I'm not proud of this, I dropped out of school. Um, no dad there, mom working two jobs. And I started hanging out at the pool hall. So finally, J.C. Bullard, there in Wilmington, he said, you want a, you want a job? So I started working, racking balls. But what happened is um, hardly anybody came in early in the morning, so I started playing pool three to five hours a day for four years. And so, you know, obvious question, did you get good? <laughs> yeah, yes, I became a hustler. I started playing, uh, I was in second string national pool tournaments. When I was 20 years old, one overwhelming aspiration in life to be a professional pool player. And seemingly, I was well on my way. And then it all got wrecked when a man by the name of N.W. Pridgen, everywhere he would see me, would say, I wish you would get your pretty wife and come to church with me. And so then my wife began to say, you know, honey, I wish we would go to church. My grandmother, Selma, was a big influence on my life. I, I wish we'd go to church. And so finally I gave in. I said, you know, if I do go, I'm going to go where Mr. Pridgen's been inviting me. And certainly normal answer, my wife said, well, I'll go anywhere just so you'll go. So remember, I've never owned a Bible. I've never been to a Bible study class. I didn't. We're talking about having revival. I didn't know what a revival was. So I went. And, and let me tell you what happened. I began to hear the gospel. And, and can I explain the gospel? I was in a church recently, and for um, reasons I won't take time to discuss, they had an outrageous number of people watching online. Matter of fact, the day before I got up, they said, no pressure. There's a quarter of a million people already online. But there had been one week, 1.3 million people were online waiting for the sermon to begin. So he said, I know you don't like to look at cameras, and I'm not even aware of the camera until I just mentioned it. He said, but somewhere in there, look in the camera, and he said, if you can do it in 60 seconds... Preachers are always talking about becoming a Christ follower, being a disciple, or being saved. What does it mean to be saved? How can you know when this life is over that your eternity is secure? And so I want to, I want to do that and then continue my story. What does it mean to be saved? The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If you were to say to me when I was 20 years old, are you a sinner? I, I, I cut to the chase. I didn't say, what do you mean by that? Or I don't feel I'm that bad. That was not my answer. Mine was, and I'm sorry, you're struggling with it, but I just said, of course, good night. I mean, I was a sinner. And I asked Jesus Christ to forgive me. Listen to me, this is salvation. And Jesus Christ wiped the slate clean. Yeah, just watch what I mean. Secondly, what does it mean? Every man needs to hear this because men struggle. Men struggle. And here's where, here's where we struggle, ladies. I've really entertained giving my life to Jesus Christ, but I'm really struggling. I don't know that I can live up to it. And I say to my wife, Janet, Janet, if, 
If next Tuesday I want to head back to the Red Fox Saloon, if I'm still cussing like a sailor, I still all I want to do is gamble and covet and try to take what's not mine from someone else's. Don't get on me. So here's what I need. I'm willing to trust him, but he's got to change my life. And if he doesn't change my life, I don't think I can live this life. So let me just help you with what I learned. You can't live the life. It is Christ in you that's the hope of glory. So not only did God forgive me my sins, listen to the second thing. When I trusted Jesus Christ, God, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of me. And it's not me living for Jesus. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, Not, not I, Christ lives in me. And the life I live now, I live by the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So it's him. So I needed him to do it. Oh, and by the way, when he begins to do it, listen to this, guys. You'll be amazed at how different you are. Somebody will say, I can't believe how you responded. And you have to say, that weren't me. Because I thought about how I ought to respond. But guess what else? That very moment. Oh, and by the way, all this happened the same time. Sins were forgiven. Jesus came to live within my life. And he gave me the gift of eternal life. Hey, this this is just simple. When this life is over... And it will be over. I checked the other day, and um, it's 100%. We're all leaving. But when it is over, I have, (laughs) thank the Lord, I have the gift of eternal life. I'll live with Jesus. Mark's told you, did you know that everybody that's ever lived is still alive? Somewhere, somewhere. Did you see it in national news? It was just in national news in the last four or five weeks. His name's Robbie. He's 18. He's big boy. Quarterback with Roswell High School in Atlanta, Georgia. He was at Woodstock High School. They lived in our community. But Roswell had a better team so they moved. They bought another house. We're, so, we're serious about sports. It's amazing decisions we'll make. They moved, bought another house for the express purpose their son would be in that district and go to school. He was in his senior year. He wanted to be a college quarterback. Namely, he wanted to play for the Florida Gators. Seven different teams had invited him to at least come and take a look. No offers. Come take a look. Right-handed. He was noted not only to be a good quarterback, but he was, he was strong. He could really run the ball. So a lot of times, no one's open. Man, he ran and lots of touchdowns. But one day got injured, left arm, the way the paper put it, minor injury. Went into one of the major hospitals in Atlanta, had surgery. After surgery, minor surgery, sent him home. His family said, uh, hey, let's go to St. Augustine Beach, Florida, and just cool it for a few days as you recover. So they went there. Every day, the mom in my office said, his health worsened. We took him to the emergency room at St. Augustine. They immediately admitted him into the hospital. The doctors acknowledged we're losing him and we're not sure why. 
They air flighted him. Listen to this. They air flighted him. Of all places, they air flighted him to Gainesville, home of the Florida Gators. Before the day ended, 18 years old, he died. 18 or 81. His mother said in my office, <clears throat> here's what I was intrigued with. Um, why did they ask me to do this film? Is there some type of connection? Do they know me? Have they slipped into Woodstock to hear me three years? So she's 51 years old, Pastor Mark, 51 years old. She says, let me connect the dots how I know you, Pastor Johnny. Do you know Scott Burrsmith? I said, look, he was a coach. I used to do a Bible study for the coaches and several of them were converted under my ministry and some of them got right with the Lord and, and I, I used to invite their sports team. She said, exactly. I was on the girls' basketball team. Listen to this, when I was 17 years old and, and they invited me over and she said, Pastor Johnny, you don't remember this and certainly I didn't. Other than I knew I invited him, but I don't remember all the players. She said, I was 17 years old. You led me to faith in Jesus. And then she put her, her hands in front of her, and then she dropped her face into her hands. And this sounds like preacher talk, but I call the Spirit of God as my witness. This is exactly what she said. I plan to tell Robbie what you told me. But I had plenty of time. And she grieved in my office, and I, I, no response. And I shared with him. My wife and I go to church. After about three weeks, I, I didn't use this language. It's language from this book. <clears throat> but it, God began to convict me. What, what do you mean? What does the word convict mean? Because Jesus used that word. It means to expose. He, he exposed my need and who could meet the need. And so one day I'm in the service and um, all this is new to me. I knew none of the music or anything. And, but isn't this amazing? Uh, I love to say this. I'm amazed at what I can't remember, but I'm equally amazed at what I can't forget. They were singing, listen to this. They were singing that morning in a hymnal. Page 233, Jesus, I come. It, the lyrics say, out of my bondage, sorrow and night. And I'm singing this here, pool room operator. Jesus, I come to thee. I'm weeping. So listen to what the preacher did. You know, smaller church, evidently he picked up on me, you know, observing. And he said, hey, we're getting ready to dismiss, like Pastor Mark's going to dismiss us in a few minutes. He said, but there's a young man here, and it's obvious God is dealing with him. Let's pray God bring him back tonight and save him. Sometimes when I tell this story, somebody likes to pull me aside. I love it. I love it. And they said, uh, you know, you really didn't have to go back that night to get saved. No, you don't have to go to the funeral home to die. But the church is a good place to go to meet God. So, so I went back that night, but uh, I didn't tell you this part. One of the reasons I quit school, it was my day to give a public book report. <laughs> Scared me to death. And it's hard to believe now, and I'm a minister, but I was extremely shy and timid in those days. 
So I'm sitting in the service, and it's, it's getting close to the end, and I want to I surrender. I want to just, if, here's what I wanted to say. If Jesus Christ can change my life, this is a good, good statement. If Jesus Christ can change my life, he's welcome to it. But I got nervous. So look what I did. Janet, when Mr. Gibson gives the invitation, go forward and tell him I want to get saved. <laughs> she responded. So in a few minutes, and this is verbatim, I went forward and I said, Mr. Gibson, Mr. Gibson, I want to give my heart and life to Jesus Christ. Can I say something? I had, I had no idea Jesus Christ wants to do anything with my life. Just thought he wanted my heart. <clears throat> I've been blessed to be close personal friends with Charles Stanley for 30 years. I was just with him two weeks ago for two and a half hours. and He's 89 years old now. Dr. Stanley, in my early visits with him, said this. He said, Johnny, you know God saved you for a purpose. Now, let me say that to you. God saved you for a purpose. He said, if God saved you for heaven, he'd have been better off to kill you today. He saved you and take you. But he saved you for a purpose. I was at Woodstock, as Pastor Mark said, for 33 years. Mark, I don't know if I've ever told you this. They hired a sculpture out of Houston. And they said, um, we've heard of the work you do, that you take one solid, large log from a really good, tight wood, and you learn a person, and you sculpture their story. So Woodstock hired this sculpture from Houston. He wanted to listen to three months of my preaching. God help that dear man. <laughs> and after listening to my preaching for three years, it's in a trophy case at First Baptist Church, Woodstock to this day. Here's what he carved. A hand reaching down from above and a hand reaching up from below. Scripture, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 through 12. I have not yet apprehended that for which I was apprehended of Christ. And here's what it's really saying. There was a day, has it happened to you? God in the person of Jesus Christ reached down from heaven and got hold of you. And then Paul said, I wanna, I wanna get hold of him for the same reason he got hold of me. God saved him for a purpose, to make him more like Christ, but then he wanted to get hold. That, that's where he wanted to know the mind of God, the will of God for his life. What is it that God wanted to do with him? And that's the missing link in many people's lives. Why did he change me? Am I to be on mission? Is there more to live for than just this life? 
Some of you have heard of the great black preacher, E.V. Hill. E.V. came to Woodstock regular to preach for me. I'll never forget as long as I live the last sermon he preached. I loved his sermon titles. He went home one night and his wife said, E.V., what did you preach on tonight? You can go to hell. She said, why would you say that to me? <laughs> said, oh no, honey. You asked what did I preach on tonight? I preached on, you can go to hell. I, I would have been, I'd have had to give clarity faster than he did. <laughs> My wife would have helped me. But he stood in our pulpit his last time and here's what he preached on. You can't stay here. You can't stay here. I have a nice home. It's landscaped beautifully. A gorgeous pool. I enjoy it, but I can't stay there. I just found out the other day, Jan and I have been married 51 years. Our first great grandchild's coming. Not sure how many years I'll be able to enjoy him. As far as that is, I'm not even certain I'll ever meet him because it's gonna be in September. But even when he comes, as much as I love my family, I posted about my family on social media this morning. Please look at me. You can't stay here. I'll give you one statement and try to finish right here on time. I was uh, leading our national convention. It's the largest evangelical body that's ever existed in the world. And I was actually leading a business session for thousands of other pastors when somebody tapped me on the shoulder. So it was one of our stage people, and, and I'm leading, and I'm thinking, yes? And they said, uh, you have a call. And, and I thought to myself immediately, how stupid. Who let him up here? <laughs> and then he said these words. It's Billy Graham. Then I thought, oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> oh, you wise. God bless you. Um, so I asked my first vice president to lead the business, and I took the call. Billy Graham was 90 years old. Died at 99. Janet and I were blessed. We were invited to be at the funeral, we were there. And he asked if I'd read a letter to the Southern Baptist Convention, his family. I did. I was just honored to do it. Two or three months passed by, I got a call one day and someone in his office said this, Dr. Graham would like to know if you and Miss Janet would like to come and to Montreal, spend an afternoon at his, at his residence, his home. You know, we preachers, we pray about everything, right? So I said, let me pray about it. Yes. <laughs> so we went to spend the uh, afternoon, the entire afternoon with Billy Graham. Memorable? Oh, are you kidding me? Oh, just for the record's sake, if you are younger and never heard that name, he spoke the gospel to more people than anyone that's ever lived in human history. Um, he spoke on occasions where a million people would be in the audience. A million. So he, um, I said, I, I hear you love to tell stories, Dr. Graham. He said, 
I do. And I said, uh, I'd love to hear a story. And he said, well, would you like to hear the story of the day I witnessed to uh, Winston Churchill? I said, oh my God, I've read all about him. I'd love to. And listen to his first words. I can still smell his smoke. <laughs> he smoked the whole time he was there. And he went on and just told me this wonderful story about him. And then in our conversation, this is where I'm going to land. He said, John, if I had to live life over again, I'd preach more on judgment. This is interesting. The Apostle Paul, we would say, is probably the greatest missionary statesman and greatest Christian that ever lived. He penned 13 books of your Bible. When he spoke in Acts 24, 24 to Felix, he reasoned with him of faith and of judgment. Jesus said, I'm going to go away. I'm ascending back to my father, but I will not leave you as orphans. I'm going to send God the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he's going to do three things. He's going to expose in your life sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. And Billy Graham said he would preach more on judgment. You know, I, I like your pastor, have a pretty evangelistic heart, I deeply love people. Matter of fact, my spiritual gift, you know what I tell everybody my spiritual gift is? Hanging out. I'll be the last to leave. I love to hang out. I mean, I really do. It's just, I'm never in a hurry to leave. I love to engage, meet people. So if I'm not careful, maybe a preacher would have a tendency to make the message more palatable for the people instead of reminding them of something that John 3.16 is not the end of John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But the next verse says, and he that believeth not on him, listen to this, is condemned already. What Condemned means to be cut off. It means... <laughs> You're already adrift. You're already headed straight. I mean, you really, somebody thinks it's hard, but somebody's got to be honest. It means you're already drifting straight for hell. Straight, you're on your way to hell. So when a preacher intercepts that and there's divine intervention, God moves in and he rescues you. No wonder we say, rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Gosh, do you have any idea how we'd rather leave that part out of the script? And then one day, people are going to end up on the other side and they're going to think, you know, I used to think those preachers were the best, but they really weren't. They really didn't care where I spent eternity. I want to tell you what I've wrestled with in my heart. As thrilled as I've been through the years to pastor an extremely large church and to be so honored to see people put their seat in our seat. I've been mindful that there's something I want to see more than that. I want to see you put your soul in his heaven. And the only way that happens is to trust Jesus. Get his forgiveness of my sin. Ask him to come into my life and receive the gift of eternal life. 
And the Bible says if that doesn't happen, and your pastor is going to be preaching about prophecy. And one thing is those who don't receive Jesus, the Bible says, listen what the Bible says, the wrath of God abides on them. But guess what Jesus did on the cross? He absorbed the wrath of God. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we could become the righteousness of God in him. So I make this statement, I'm gonna pray. No one, no one, no one goes to heaven without the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this time with this wonderful church. Some of the most engaging people I preach to on the planet. Encouraging, enlightening, such great listeners and responders. So encouraging. Thank you. Do something that only you can do in these closing moments. Change someone's life. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Pastor's going to come in a moment before he does. Wonder who of you in the balcony or downstairs would say, Pastor, I need, to, I need this morning to yield and surrender my life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I need my sins forgiven. I need God to come and live through me. By the way, what a difference it makes in a marriage when God is that threefold cord. When the Lord is the one who is living through each of us, what a difference it makes. Life becomes more enjoyable. You begin to get up every day and know that you're here for him, not vice versa. Everything revolves around him. We're like the planets around the sun. It's not the sun revolving around us. Right where you sit, think of this, right where you sit, your life can be changed forever. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And if this prayer is the attitude of your heart, make it yours. And it's your way of saying, I want to surrender my life to Jesus. If Jesus is who he says he is, come change my life. Just say to him now, God knows your heart. In your heart, say to him, Lord Jesus, I need you. I know that I cannot change my own life. So I invite you by faith, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I'm sorry for my sins. Cleanse me, forgive me, save me. Thank you for dying for me. Help me to live for you. And thank you this morning for hearing my prayer and for saving me. Now help me to never be ashamed of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, and listen, if um, you need to make a major decision in your life, James 1.5, listen to this statement. It's not the promises you make to God that makes the difference. It's the promises God has made to you. Don't ever forget that. It's not the promises you've made to God. I was with the national leader in Colorado just a few months ago with Promise Keepers, and I'm not being ugly. I lead one of the largest men's conferences in America. We're not Promise Keepers. He is. I can sing Jesus Never Fails, but I can't sing Johnny Never Fails. God bless you. Thank you, Johnny.
If you just prayed with Johnny, before you leave campus today, we have a gift for you. There's a New Spring Bible in there. There's a book I wrote called My New Walk with God that'll answer a lot of questions. So here's all you have to do to get it. it check out your smartphone and text the word PRAYED, P-R-A-Y-E-D to 97,000. And there's info, there are info centers all around the campus. There are these colors. You'll recognize them. They have the box ready for it. It's a gift. We have no agenda other than to help you take your first steps following Jesus. If you're watching online or on television, just text PRAYED to 97,000 and follow the steps and we'll get this out to you. Thank you for being here. God bless. Have a wonderful day. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.